0: It's a phrase that's been doing the rounds on the conference circuit for a few years now, but what does open innovation actually mean in practice? And how can food manufacturers reap the benefits? One man very well-placed to shed some light on this is GSK's open innovation guru, Paul Isherwood, who joins me today at the Food and Drink Innovation Network conference on open innovation. Paul, how does open innovation actually work at GSK?
1: Well, first of all, uh, Elaine, you're right that open innovation means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So within GSK, for us... In, simply put, it's about finding the right partners to help us achieve our goals. Now, that's an overarching statement. What I mean by that is at different stages of the development cycle, along the supply chain, finding someone who has the capabilities, has the competencies outside the organisation so that we can partner at an appropriate time with the objective of getting products to market quicker. But, of course, you've got to look for a win-win situation and there must be benefits uh, coming to that partner who, who you're who you bringing on board.
0: In terms of how you actually structure yourself and facilitate these uh, collaborations with external partners, um, what have you learnt um, over the past few years that you've been looking at this as the best way to structure yourself as an organization to really you know, maximize the benefits?
1: Well, um, in nutritional healthcare, which is the food and drink arm really of GSK for Lucasade, Ribena, Horlicks, first of all we have a good track record of our other consumer healthcare brands, being the oral he- healthcare, the over-the-counter products. They've had a model in place for three or four years, and one success factor of that model is the co-location of your commercial teams with the R&D teams, sitting together, generating ideas. There's a buzz. It's it's corridor conversations, but really it gets things done. We have a success factor of increasing the, the the sales of these products significantly and getting into new geographies so the nutritional health are adopting that model as we go into uh, geographical expansion with some of our brands so we've moved in into a, a new hub environment all our r&d all our commercial people uh, earlier this year and this is now it sets the scene for for our targets for the future
0: in terms of articulating actually what you want from external partners or potential partners one of the issues that's come up today is is not being too vague about it um, i know general mills today said that we're not looking for ideas we're looking for solutions so how do you articulate what you want in a detailed way without perhaps you know giving away commercial secrets to your competitors
1: yeah yeah, of course that's the sometimes the the problem the, the dilemma i think it's where you there are different levels you really want to go into here how much you're saying publicly will be very different to how much our internal scouts will be primed with when they're looking for new technologies if we go public with something it's got to be something quite generic and all we're trying to do is get people interested. So people will see a, a broad topic or a, a technology we're looking for. They will then contact us. We'll talk to them, sign a confidentiality, and then we'll share more, more detail. So it would be kind of a trickle effect, you know, um, uh, throw something out there, get people hooked in, and then find the right capability to then develop that further.
0: Just moving on to the issue of intellectual property, um, how do you get that right? And has that been a barrier to progress uh, for you in your company?
1: It it, it hasn't, uh, in my experience, up to date. Um, I think I could put it simply, uh, although I know it's not a simple answer really. If it's some intellectual property associated with say, an ingredient, GSK does not want that intellectual property. It is the property of the ingredient uh, provider and supplier. However, if the combination of that ingredient into one of our formulations gives rise to, I don't know, a a claim or a new new benefit in that product, and there was something which we felt was belonging to the product, then GSK would own it. So I think the key is, uh, to your answer, get the right contracts in place up front with whoever you're talking about and discuss the the, um, intellectual property issue up front. There is uh, a notion about sharing intellectual property and I think that's a kind of new concept but it's a realistic one and can be done in certain situations and I think as a, and we, we, we would discuss that with uh, the right partner.
0: I suppose the final question is, um, you know, what benefits has GSK derived from this new approach or is it perhaps too early to say? And uh, how do you measure success?
1: Um, okay, I, I guess a couple of uh, ways of measuring success for me are, are the following. Um, For example, with the LucasAid uh, brand in the UK, which is well established, been here a long time, we have some good core competencies and skills uh, around the the knowledge of uh, the science, the formulations and, in fact, the consumer insight. But last year, when we extended the range to launch the sports nutrition range, which included um, ready-to-drink liquid products, powders, gels, bars, uh, we have to deliver these products in 12 months we did not have that capability internally, so we went out and found the right partners in those particular categories and, and, and did the development work with them and the manufacturing and got those products to market. So that's my first point, the diversification of, of, of products. Second point is about speed to market. So if we're all looking to get things out there quicker, if you can partner with someone for example who's partly developed or got a, a claim uh, pending perhaps or has done some clinical trials, then you don't have to start at, uh, at, at point one so you, you, you partner with them and between you you can get things to market quicker i, I agree regulations can be a challenge here but again regulations to me are an opportunity you know if you can lobby them uh, regulations and actually help to influence influence those i believe also you can get products out there quicker
0: Well, thank you very much, Paul. My final question, I suppose, is there may be some cynics out there that would say that, you know, we've been doing open innovation for years. You're just calling it something new now. Would you agree with that, or do you think it really is a genuine step change in the way that uh, new products are getting to market?
1: Um, I'll answer that in two ways. First of all, um, a lot of people have been doing um, open innovation in their own way or form or shape for many years. So, yes, I agree with you. Um, The fact that it's coined now as a phrase... I think think you can look at the learnings over the last seven or eight years since that term has been used. Whereas some companies started um, speculating and using it, it's now been inbuilt into their strategy. So as companies say, this is one of our strategies, then to me that says the trickle effect now, down from the larger organisations into the SMEs, down from the high-tech companies into the kind of more low-tech companies, means, in my opinion, it's here to stay.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much, Paul. And so the message, it seems to be, is it's not easy, but it's certainly well worth it. This is Elaine Watson reporting for foodmanufacture.co.uk.